Big Easier podcast by the Unmistakables. Welcome to another episode of the Speak Easier, where we interview people from the world of arts, culture, and business to talk about how they're making diversity everyone's business. I'm Assad. And I'm Ben, and this week we're talking to Judy Love. Judy's probably best known for her role as a panellist on Loose Women. She's got her own BBC Radio London show. And since we've been in lockdown, she's been running a show on Instagram Live called Quarantine Date Night twice a week. We wanted to talk to her really because we were struck by just how inclusive the Quarantine Date Night programme is and how she seems to be on a personal mission to eradicate a lot of stereotypes around black women specifically strong black women. I've got a feeling this is going to be a really entertaining episode of The Speakeasier. How are you feeling, Asad? Yeah, I think it's going to be brilliant. Quarantine date night lasts for something like two and a half, three hours, two two nights a week. She's on Celebrity MasterChef, got the radio show. Judy's just a woman on a mission and I'm really excited for this one. So let's go. Let's go. Making diversity everyone's business. So here we are on the Speakeasy with none other than Judy Love. Hello, Judy. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. I'm here with you guys, so I'm good. <laughs> you're good. You're, you're here. You're present in the room. I'm present. I'm in the room. I'm in the house. Yeah, we were watching you on quarantine date night last night, so it's like the tables have turned because you're usually hosting, Judy, and today we're we're playing host. <laughs> Do you know what? It feels so weird to be in this position. I feel sorry for all the people that I've ever interviewed or whoever's ever been on my show. I'm finding lately a lot of people want to ask me questions, and I always try to kind of divert from it. But now I'm, I feel like I'm fully in the hot seat. Well, we've got a little challenge for you today because you're known for your summaries. So usually Assad's the summary master. We're going to leave it to you at the end. We want a sum up at the end of today's Speak Easier. Tell us what we said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where we normally start, Judy, just to warm stuff up is we do a bit of a word association. Okay, so I'm going to say a word and you just say the first thing that comes into your mind. Yeah. Is what what time is this podcast going to be out? Is it- <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. Lockdown. Uh, kids. Boris Johnson. Twat. Quarantine date night. Judy Love. <laughs> Finally, this weekend. Sunshine. Nice. Okay. Well, thanks, Judy. So you you've come on our podcast to talk about comedy and can you have a laugh anymore so why are you qualified to talk about comedy tell us a bit about how you've come to be who you are wow I think qualified you know I'd have to ask my audience I think really because I've been doing comedy now for about maybe about seven years or so and I think just as a person laughter is something that I'm always around or I've always kind of grown up with so I just believe in 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 getting people together and having a good old laugh sometimes you've got laugh at yourself laugh at the situation it opens up so much conversation it allows you to kind of look at your own patterns of behavior so I think that's that's a lot and I, I'll say it how it is I say exactly what I see so I think that gives me a, li- a little bit of a qualification if that's yeah I know that you're you've got a bit of a personal mission to really just to spread joy but in your comedy do you think you can spread more than that do you think there's a do you think there's a political message in any of it do you know what? It's so strange you saying that because for me, when I first started, I just thought it was just me telling some jokes, things that I've been through and 
and just like having that connection with people. And then as time has gone on, videos that I've done it seem to have some con- some kind of political statement. I never even realised that. So I think that as an individual, we all have things that maybe we feel a bit of, you know, injustice or we're a bit hurt by or there's some more layers and, and complexities to it. And although I might bring forth the comedy, there's obviously some other context behind it where other people are fully engaged because they they feel like their political stance or what they're going through is spoken through that video or that that joke. So do you think people do you think people relate to you in a way that is new or fresh for them? I don't know if it's new or fresh for them. I just think that they just relate without with all the other barriers that society tries to put up, I think they just hear what I'm saying and it connects with them on an emotional level and they laugh for me, you know, laugh through the pain, laugh through the adversity, laugh through the familiarity, laugh through the culture and they just connect. I think they just connect. And I love that. That's what I love. The fact that I can connect so much different people. So, Judy, I came to know your comedy and you, I guess, through a couple of videos that really stood out for me. <laughs> One was a short video about your <laughs> anger towards all of these vegan people that had, like, stolen veganism from the Rastama. <laughs> that's one. That's one. And this then is, the other... This is what I'm saying. To me, that was just like... To me, it's just a funny video in the sense of doing the certain voices and so on. But then the political side behind it, if you talk about capitalism and all those kind of things of someone taking over something um, and now to their benefit and they're not the originators of it. So, And that's how, I mean, the comedy kind of transferred to so much different people. I I didn't mean for it to be like a statement, but hey... No, but I mean, it It certainly was when you reflect upon it. And then the other one was a video of you playing nurse to Boris Johnson while he was in <laughs> hospital with COVID-19. Now, I showed that to so many people. And honestly, I mean, I laughed so hard. It's probably the thing I've laughed at more in lockdown than anything else. But when you do look back at it, it does make a bit of a statement about who actually looked after him. Because in it, you play a Jamaican nurse that's got... You know, anyone that is familiar uh, or that's got any Jamaican family, you, there's there's a number of things that you do to help his healing process. Like, you know, <laughs> give his chest a little rub with, some, you know, give him some honey, garlic and rum and all of these things. It's like, OK, if there's nothing else left, we've got we've got a washout with some seriously tea. We've got the Bible. And after that, <laughs> you know, we're done. It, yeah. We're done. And my mother-in-law yeah. is a, a nurse and is Jamaican. So, I mean, I just found it so funny. I showed it to some friends and family and they're like, I'm not getting a single word of it. Because you speak in <laughs> patois, you've got a strong accent in it. They weren't Much getting so. a word of it. Did but you show actually, it to your mother-in-law? Did you show it to your mother-in-law? I mean, I think she'd already seen it. And I was, I, I, I think she was a bit daunted by the fact that she just saw herself. <laughs> it, it's just her. <laughs> it's just her. But it again, um, I think that it would have engaged a lot of people because it's so funny, but at the same time make people think, okay, so could he really come out of that hospital and then go and say that, you know, nurses from other countries have to pay £2,000 to stay and work for the NHS? Exactly. And I think as well, it's just that 
the period of COVID, it was, you know, even though we're still kind of going through it, it was such a scary moment. And for a lot of us, we know we go into nurses, anything in the NHS, and we see a high percentage of ethnic minorities that are working frontline. So for a lot of people who, you know, comedians, actors, people in the NHS, although we were celebrating and praising them, a lot of people felt like they were being kind of cut out and almost like media was being kind of whitewashed and none of the nurses and nursing assistants and midwives and doctors who were from like black ethnic minorities and Asian ethnic minorities were not being portrayed. So I think a part of that video was like, let's be real, if you roll up to a hospital in South London, Boris, this is who you're really going to meet. Let's, let's, let's stop this foolishness. You, in fact, for you to get through the corona, you're going to need one of these nurses. And I think, and I think that's, what, that's what it was really about. And, yeah, it, it definitely portrayed that. Can I ask, because Ben mentioned that you, you spoke in Patois and like, you use your own cultural cues to make the joke. And it's one thing that I've learned is I, I can sometimes use an Indian accent to land a joke yeah. or to, to bring some humour to people. But there's so much debate about if that's okay and if you're poking at your own culture and then does that make it okay for other people? Like when it comes to bringing the fact that you are a black woman and the fact that you understand what patois is into mm. your comedy, do you ever think about like where your own lines are and, and how much you can bring that into the joke? Well, within my own culture of being Jamaican, I, I don't care what anybody's got to say, I'm always going to speak patois when I want, how I want. I've had... I have seen sometimes a comment of like, oh, you know, you're, you're portraying that certain stereotype. Look, the reality is, for my family, I've got a Mrs. A Nurse Johnson in my family, a Nurse Brown in my family. Do you understand what I mean? Auntie so-and-so. And I've got one of those. So I always try to do comedy from my own life experience so that it always reflects back to me. And it's never really punching down at anybody. It's about talking about these things and using these characters that has made us laugh and brought us through some of the hardest times in our life and some of the most fun times. So for me, I don't have a line in the sense where I feel like I'm, I'm disrespecting my own culture. I try my best to do all characters, some that are stereotypes, some that are uh, a lot that are positive, some that might be seen as negative because there's so much different dynamics. And I think if it's a character... It's really good that I be realistic and, and and revert back to what I know and let other people get comfortable around those characters. You know, there might be someone who's never been writing, you know, Nurse Janssen or Nurse Brown before, and I've done it. And because they've been able to watch the video a few times, they're realising, like, when she's rubbing down his chest, she's not actually beating him up. She's being very loving. Like, they'll start to realise those things is quite... Love him. Anybody that's got like a, um, a West Indian, a Jamaican mum, when I was rubbing Mr. Johnson in the video, they will know that kind of rub is a real care. Like, we don't have no filter. And we'll tell you your body look big and all the rest of it. <laughs> you, you don't rub his chest, though, do you? What do you rub, Judy? <laughs> <laughs> get me no, no, you call it something else. You call it something else. Let's tell the listeners what. <laughs> <laughs> Let me rub your titty. Yeah, and, and and this is what I'm saying. Those little languages, like your titty, it, it's. I grew up with that kind of 
that kind of dialogue. So it's just now you wouldn't say it like that, but it's just so funny because some of it, there is like some comfort in there as well. <laughs> so, yeah, Boris, yeah, Boris Johnson did get him titty rubbed on. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about, I think you said punching down. So um, I, I went, <laughs> I said to Ben, I went to this car park comedy gig oh, last Friday. Friday. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was like over in Henley, which was already quite funny. And we were near the back. And the the first the, the compare came on and said if you've got any comments or whatever tweet me so I was like I'll bank that and then the first act came up and we were quite far back and I just said to 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 Tom I went is that the guy who presents Homes Under the Hammer and he started laughing and then I was like it's clearly not like the guy who presents Homes Under the Hammer is not is not now a comedian but I thought <laughs> I'll tweet it so I, <laughs> I tweeted the compare and I said we're really far back so maybe it's my eyesight but is this guy um, the guy from Homes Under the Hammer. And then he he retweeted it. It was Hal Cruttenden. So he retweeted like Hal Cruttenden and how Hal, Hal retweeted it and it got loads of likes oh. and shares. But then the um the compare came back on and went, got a tweet here from Assad. He said, uh, does this does he look like Homes Under the Hammer? Bit rich coming from you, Assad, running a diversity consultancy, talking about representation and making sure. And I like sunk into my seat and then I went back and went, there's two things that come out. There. like one is how far can you take a joke nowadays like if you make a joke like oh you remind me of someone and then I know as a brown person I often get mistaken for the other brown person in the room it happened when I was on quarantine date night where they thought I was Sanjay oh it was so and- bad <laughs> So and so I'm like you're gonna have to explain you... who Sanjay is come on <laughs> who knows, okay, before... who knows who Sanjay is? we don't know it wasn't that's what we do it that's... wasn't me it, was... it wasn't me but on, on quality deck there was someone who was on before me talking about being married to Sanjay who she met in Waitrose and yeah. where they worked and then I went on and then everyone went oh is this is this Sanjay <laughs> and <laughs> it happened but it happens so much where you're like, oh, are you the only other like black person on, on the screen if they know one other? And Ben and I have been talking about it. Where I said it's kind of a bit of a poison chalice where if you're seeing more people of colour on TV, then it's more likely that you're going to be confused for the one who's famous or the one who's popular because there's finally a reference point for people mm. to go, oh, you like that. But I, I look back and I go, when I use that kind of mechanic on a on a white man, who doesn't get confused for the only white man in the room or someone he looks like. Like, it's quite a spiky joke. Mm. And I didn't think I was punching down at the time, but it did make me think when people use other cultures in comedy to make fun or to poke or punch, have you ever experienced that, being on the circuit, being on the scene? Experience it, me doing it myself or someone doing it to me? Someone doing it to you. I've, I've had it uncomfortable, like green room kind of um experiences like being in a, a you know a mainstream kind of comedy club and being the only black person like the entire venue maybe like one or so in the audience but be in the in an establishment amongst the people that's performing and um, you know it's just a little the little weird jokes like trying to as some people might refer to talk black or, you know, the only conversation they want to have with me is about knife crime. Or do you, do you live near or do you know so-and-so? And I'm like, why would I know them? And it's just because maybe I'm black and I'm like, I don't know them. Or not being spoken to and 
because they just maybe assumed that I'm the cleaner. And then later on, they realized that, oh, you know, oh, you're one of the comedians. I'm like, yeah, bitch, I am. So it's, 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 it's those kind of ways. I've never, it's never been a thing like on stage or so on. Because I think once I get on stage, I kind of realize like, oh, I'm I'm up for the, I'm up for it, and I kind of address my physicality once I go on stage anyway. But from other comedians, not directly, but it's, they like I've I've been in rooms. I think the last time I was in the room and they were having a really uncomfortable conversation about uh, who there was another black male comedian, and they were like joking about getting him mistaken for somebody else but then actually on purpose calling him someone else and then making reference to, like, the children in need adverts and he was African. So it was, like, very uncomfortable. I think there's so much discomfort in the, in the stereotyping comedy. I yeah. also think there's, a, there's an incredible opportunity to bring people together and to sort of educate people gently on other cultures when you make them laugh because at the moment we're just acutely aware in what we do that the conversation's really serious you know quite rightly too but what do you think comedy can do to actually help people come closer together and and just learn more about each other because you know comedy can be edgy and it can take risks and it can you know and it can challenge things as well do you feel that responsibility or opportunity even I do feel that opportunity because I think performing and having my own shows, I've you know I've seen where my shows are growing from having a hundred people to two hundred people to three hundred to now having like the most from a female aspect from a black female aspect that sold out the Shaw Theatre like five times plus um, at a capacity of nearly five hundred people and the mix of people you know it is it's, it's it blows me away. It shouldn't. It shouldn't blow me away that I've got white a white gay couple, an Asian family, you know, a Jewish family, black friends. You know, it, it just, but it's like, it's, it is a beautiful feeling to see such a mix of people just wanting to laugh. And I obviously speak about things from being a woman's perspective, being a, a black male, but I think, a black female, should I say, but I think if you've had any kind of adversity in your life, you might not be a black female, but you might understand what I've been through as a single mum. Do you understand what I mean? You'd, so there's different things that you might be able to kind of connect with. It's that it's that feeling that you're going to connect with. So I do feel a sense of like, I will talk about things that's on the edge and, you know, how we kind of stereotype people. Because I think, to me, there's nothing more amazing if someone comes to my show and maybe they've got a perception of, of how a, a black woman is and, and they laugh at their self at like, oh my gosh, I, I've done that. Especially if I'm mocking and I'm, I'm doing a character and, it, you know, like if I do, you know, there's everyone always talks about, you know, how people want to touch black women's hair. So if I do that character of, you know, you know, Kelly who wants to touch Judy's hair and then I'm making it really clear that no, 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 like, Kelly might be in the audience and she'll laugh and think, oh my gosh, I didn't realise that was a, like offensive to some people. And she'll laugh about it and not feel as judged, but then maybe next time she won't do it or she'll have a conversation about it because I've done a joke about it. So I think that's 
away, it kind of helps. She'll laugh and learn then, I guess, right? That's the point. Laugh and that's what I'm saying. Laugh and learn. Yeah, definitely. In So there were two questions I wanted to ask. So I was trying to work out what's the better one. One was where do you get your inspiration from? So where do you find the Kellys in your life that help you come up with the characters? I think I just always go through things that I've experienced, like uh, like even through quarantine, I had uh, someone knock my door, seen as a busybody, and I know like there's a lot of people using the word Karen at the moment in reference to white females who seem to get involved in stuff that literally has nothing to do with them, but they're making a stance because the black person's having a barbecue or the black person is walking the wrong way down the road or something like that. So I had a lady knock my door and, you know, she was just telling me that I mustn't do any work in my house. Ask me, Am I do- are you doing work in your house? Do you need any work done in your house? I, I was doing, like, my garden and some- and she was basically telling me... She's, oh, like, five- <laughs> she's only five- doing her nails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At six o'clock, it has to be finished. And I was like, who the hell are you to be telling me what I can and can't in my house? But then I laughed because I thought, this is great comedy. Like, it's great Mm. comedy. So I go by things that I personally have experienced. That's where I kind of get my inspiration from, from family, childhood experience, things that I've experienced because with that, I know what I felt at the time. I can more relate to what is funny at the time. I guess now your experiences are getting quite vast. Like you're on Celebrity MasterChef at the moment. Ooh. And when you look at that experience and you look at bringing cuisine and, and a big part of your culture to the mainstream and people seeing what you're doing, like how does that feel? It feels, um, it feels amazing. It's really it's scary as well because you know, for me personally, there's going to be some Jamaican artist saying, mm-mm. She never put enough garlic in that, you know. <laughs> but I imagine you've got a lot of Karens going, oh, that looks lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and, I don't, and I don't mind, and it's beautiful. I've had so much people message me, can we have recipes, can we do this? And I think it's really nice that it's appreciated because I think West Indian food doesn't get as much acceptance, you know, as a like Michelin-star food or, you know, a really, like, elegant, fine dining and it's or just even even indian food in this country like people love indian food love right indian. it's a similar constituency yeah as West and, and it's still with indian food it's put into a category or oh, take away friday night do you understand what i'm saying hot spicy food that's it when there's so much other avenues and of course it can be fine dining i think ju- the thing is with our food it just takes a bit longer and and I, what i found from um, <laughs> mastership celebrity mastership is that for me as a West Indian, when they're like, what's the recipe? How much can you, what's the measurement? I'm like, huh? Measurement? You just dash a little bit of this. You dash a little bit of that. And you, and you just rub it up. That's, I don't know like anything else. So I think it's really beautiful that I'm learning. People who's watching are learning because it's definitely made me think about, okay, how much am I putting in? What is the measurements? If I can structure that a little bit more, then maybe it's about people learning how to follow to make the food more than actually it's not seen as accepted. Yeah, and I was listening to uh, Rusty Lee on your uh, BBC Radio London show the other day. It's brilliant. I, I, I text I text some Jamaican people I know afterwards and said, 
she's just summed it up so well. Like, what's the recipe? How long do you cook it for? She goes, you cook it till it makes you feel good and nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? This is West Indian food. This is West Indian food. And, and Rusty Lee, you know, I know she's not doing as much cooking now, but when you think about she was in the 80s, one of the first, she's iconic in that sense, one of the first black female chefs on TV. And she did her food authentically. There was no, like, patterning it down for anybody. Prime time, 80s, come on. So it was It was like, I feel like if other people have done that back then when there was so much other issues or there was even less of us, then I think now is even better because we're so much more integrated. I feel like there's a part of society that's much more integrated than we realise. And I think that's what's what's happening. That's where the change is going to more come from, where everybody's like, we're not standing for this crap and this separation no more. So I think for anyone that hasn't seen Quarantine Date Night, your dating show on Instagram Live, the thing that's really struck me is we talked a lot about diversity, but it's inclusion that I really see in Quarantine Date Night. You've just got this way about you where you certainly haven't like stereotyped yourself or pigeonholed yourself by being, you know, what some people might identify as. You know, you might say, oh, this is a this is a West Indian comedian, for example. Mm. When any whenever anyone joins, you always ask a very inclusive style of question. You know, you ask that you don't make any assumptions about their sexuality. You don't mm. get any make any assumptions about that. And I can see that everyone that joins, and I know it doesn't make amazing TV or radio or or, or like Instagram live, but everyone just wants to tell you how much they love you because you're, because <laughs> it's, it's true. Like everyone- Are they going to think I'm paying these people off? <laughs> no, but, but you can see because you've been so inclusive, they're like, okay, we've all found a home here. And it's an amazing thing to see. And do you think that that is um, something that you're, conscious of in all of the entertainment work you do is that what you're trying to do rather than be you know okay I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the black girl I don't, I don't know I don't I don't think I'm like consciously doing it I think like if I start with like quarantine date nights I've, I'm learning you know I my background is Jamaican so there's certain things growing up it was like no it's not that it's not that and times are changing and you've got such different dynamics of friends and family members and um you know when you start to see things in different different ethnicities different cultures different sexuality of people being hurt that we all know what hurt is so to me it's like it it, it just like it, it doesn't make sense like just let people be who they want to be it doesn't matter whether you agree or not it's not it's not your business this is a person this is their life this is what they're doing like we can just all be cool. So when I, for quarantine date night, when I open it up, the same way there might be a straight person, there might be a gay person, there might be a bisexual person. It's the same way I might go on a dating app and I might not be picked because I'm a plus size black woman. So I understand maybe going to something and feeling excluded. So it's the same, it's the same to me, it's the same thing. Like everybody has got their own unique pattern even if it was all straight people there might be one woman that's blonde another one that's brunette we're all individuals so I just think it's open for everybody I just and it's it's just better like that why is everything so separated so I I just it just how it is I don't even know what to say I didn't even think of it that deep you're not too deep for me I didn't, 
<laughs> you know that's not true. Come on, we know that you've got a. You know, we know about your psychological studies as well. But I think maybe that's it. I think it is. I think often when you know what it's like to feel like the only one in the room or othered or or whatever, I think you will make more of a a conscious effort. And I think that the other thing that we're interested in is in certain communities there can be exclusion there, or there can be. There can be racism, there can be xenophobia, there can be homophobia, there can be all of these things. And I think when people find these safe places, what what I really noticed, I remember when I first logged on to Quarantine Date Night, I was like, I can imagine that the audience is going to have some spiky things to say about this individual that's coming on as a guest now, but they never Mm. seem to. They never seem to. They might get bored and they might say, oh, you know, jog on, but they never seem to have any nasty comments to say about them and their lifestyles. I think because. I just show no tolerance. That's one. I don't show no tolerance. And I think there's more to somebody than just, you know, I'm a white, gay, 25-year-old. Okay, fine, whatever. Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? What's your favourite colour? Like, what's your food? Like, what makes you laugh? Now, if you take all of that away, we all got the same things. We can laugh, we can cry. And I think that's, that's for me, that's what it is. And I think for the people who are watching, I've had messages from people who have said to me, um, you know, Jews, I'm, I'm from a certain culture, certain religion, and I've never engaged with people that I see on your show. However, I want to thank you because it's allowed me to not judge people. It's allowed me to say, okay, like, People are just people. Like, I would have never, ever been in any kind of situation to meet all these different kind of individuals. And I think people probably, it's, it's social media, they still will say their stuff, but they know if I see it, their ass is going to get blocked. It's just that simple. So I, I think that's where it is. Do you think there's a parallel? Because we talked about comedy being quite universal. Like, everyone wants to laugh in the same way that everyone wants to love and find love. So because you've got a topic that's so universal that everyone finds it applies to them. Whereas when we talk about diversity, people are like, "Mm, maybe that's not for me because I don't, it's, it's not applicable. Mm, I think that I think if one thing I've learned from quarantine date nights, a lot of people are looking for love, like on so much different levels, you know, even if it's just love of like a father figure, a mother figure, or on an intimate level, people are really yearning to be nurtured. So I think there's so much different aspects of love that I think it does unite a lot of people. It has got a common ground. And I think this is what's been great about quarantine date nights, that people are realising it doesn't matter your background or your sexuality or your age or your class. In fact, we are all looking for the same thing. So um, it's really funny when you get a gay man on the show and he's like, yeah, I got ghosts by him and he never turned out and I paid his bill for the last six months and then you get another sister up and she's like, oh my God, the same thing happened to me. I wonder if we're dating the same man. And it's just great because it's like, it it just makes everyone realise that everyone goes through kind of the same things with relationships and that when it comes down to it, it is about the love. You you own quarantine date night. It's completely your space, right? You don't have to ask anyone's permission for stuff. I mean, obviously, you don't own the music. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you don't own the music. But what I'm interested in is, like, in the main in mainstream media, 
you know, it's harder to get ideas away. It's harder to push your own creative. It's harder to create that content. What does that freedom feel like in having your own space to do what you want and what you love versus trying to navigate like the mainstream media? Or trying to fit in even. Um, It does feel kind of liberating. And obviously we're never really that free because there's still restrictions on what we can and can't say in the sense of like, you know, like you said about the music and stuff. But oh, cool. I think you get you get you get quite a lot through on quarantine date night, though, Judy. Come on! I, do, <laughs> I, I even got a flasher on. That's how you know. Well, I, didn't, I didn't get him on. He came on and flashed. Uh, yeah, but what okay. I, I think, I think it is really beautiful, and I think it really shows, like, if we're allowed to kind of be us creatively, with respect for others, we can build something so unique, which TV wants. But I don't know if they trust people enough to give them that space so it is beautiful even if i'm tired i'm like oh, i'm tired then i'm like oh who's gonna pop on tonight who can have a conversation with tonight it's gonna be nice you never know people might slide up in people's dms and it, and, it, and it's beautiful to see that it's been going for three months mm. and then you know being on mainstream tv and stuff yes you know like there's certain things you can't say this to be honest with you there's never really anything that i feel like oh i can't say because i know it's gonna be a problem because I'm kind of open-minded to allowing people's opinions and knowing that, you know, everyone's got a different kind of opinion and having some kind of empathy and compassion and respecting people's opinions. But, you know, yeah, obviously I'm not going to go on loose swimming and just be like, yeah, wag one, yeah, bless up yourself. It's me the one like really love, you know, as with, with the music in the back. You know, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> why not because why not Judy? do you know what the thing is the other day i was on loose women and i don't even know what it was but we was in the middle of something i was like rah which is a real like jamaican kind of slang and i was laughing myself and said i was on big itv and was like rah like i can't help it they just say be yourself but i think because i am qualified as a social worker anyway i have the ability to no, like, oh, I'm going in here now with my professional head. I'm having a meeting and having this and ha- having uh, and doing it in this capacity. So what you see on TV is really, it is me. It's just I'm in a professional capacity. I know that on TV a child could be watching, you know, you, do you get what I'm saying? I know it's live. Yeah. We've got the responsibility of watching our producers and knowing that we're in timing and stuff like that. So that's the difference. It's not that I'm not being myself. It's just a bit more professional in that sense of structure ben and i we do go deep on topics because i think a lot of people listen to this and they think i don't know what i can say i don't know what i can ask but you've mentioned you're a qualified social worker Mm. and then you've also talked about like adversity and people find their way through adversity and it changes their life and i think one of the best things i've ever been told is like things happen to people everyone has an episode or an incident something that happens in their life it's Mm. up to you to work out how much you listen to it and how much you let that inform you Mm. so how have you gone from being a social worker to someone who I think right now is having a bit of a moment where you're everywhere. You're on, you're on MasterChef, you're on Loose Women, you're on Quarantine Date Night. Like people, people love the, the Judy. They love oh, the Judy love. She's not, <laughs> she's not having a moment. She's having a movement. Oh, <laughs> well, we love Benny though. It's like, he just always comes with, with one liners. I love that. Um, but yeah, like how, how, how has that happened? How, how have you gone from qualified social worker to, fronting loose women i i I really uh i I would say like you know definitely like a higher being has 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 
helped me, guided me through. That must be my mum's, you know, her being my little guardian angel has guided me through. But I think, I really think it's about growth. I think I came to a period of my life where I wasn't happy. I wasn't sure who I was anymore. I was sad. I was lonely. I was, I was in this routine of just, oh, it, it, it just like I was almost living outside of myself, and then one day I just was like, "No, this is not this is not me. I've I've just got to stop." And I think the best thing is when you can come to a stage where you can be honest with yourself and really question like how you want your life to be. Nothing is never guaranteed, but you know if you, you got if you can wake up today and make a decision, a conscious decision to say, "I'm actually going to do the things that I want and feel fulfilled." I've tried to live now in a sense where my spirit feels filled it feels alive I felt before like it didn't feel alive so anything that I engage in that doesn't make me feel alive I just I just don't do it I don't deny myself no more I don't lie to myself no more I'm very honest with myself I allow myself to feel things even if it's something not good where before I'd be I'd probably mix a depression we ain't got time to feel it. You've got kids to look after, bills to pay. You know, that strong woman just getting through it, getting through it. When really inside, you're just burying and burying. Now I'm like, if something don't feel right, or if someone says something it doesn't feel right, I'll say, look, it doesn't feel right. Give me a little time to think about what I'm feeling and I'll come back to you. And from doing that, from taking that step some years back, it just means I've, I've, I feel like I'm I'm living like authentically I'm living with purpose that's what it is I feel like I'm living with purpose you're living your best life Judy um, trying babes trying <laughs> you mentioned the word strong woman and I have to ask you about stereotypes and how much mm. kind of like how dangerous they can be how much they maybe fueled your life until that point mm. and, and how we can help people understand how harmful they can be so I think where our I was struck where our stories crossed over because I listened to a podcast with you where I heard that you'd written a dissertation about the impact of being positioned as a, a strong black woman oh, on mental, yeah. mental health. And, and you know already that I had this same thing where, you know, when my wife died and the reaction from people around me was mm. like, oh, you're so strong, you're so strong, or like, be strong. I was told to be strong. Mm. And, I, and I thought for some time, that that was an instruction and that was like the way I had to live my life until I realised it wasn't me at all. Mm. And I rallied against that and I wrote about it and I shared my feelings around that. And now what I try and, and communicate to people is that strength is in vulnerability. Like yes. how much is that, how much is that stereotype or in your work, you know, in your more like psychological work, have you tried to push against that to dispel that stereotype? I think, Oh, it's, it's, uh, I'm 40 now. Can't believe this, right? Same, same. <laughs> and right. And I don't, where's it gone? And I would say, you know, I wrote that dissertation uh, maybe when I was around uh, 36. So when you think about it, that's the majority of my life with that um, notion of, you know, strong, strong black woman. A lot of the women in my life, seeing a strong black women if I if I look at my mum my mum had about five strokes and that was just you know she, she was the pinnacle of a strong woman just kept on going kept on going and you sh it shows you that even if you're not expressing it it's affecting you like internally you know and health wise 
And when I did that dissertation and really looked at the history, you know, black history of women, history of my own mother, the history of myself, it was very, very challenging. But I knew, like, this cannot be healthy. It 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 just didn't it it just didn't feel right. It it didn't feel right. I, I was brought up in a Pentecostal, um, you know, religion, Christianity, Pentecostal, and you know, praising God and being happy. But I'm saying, well, there can't be this God in the sky, and we must live and not feel happy. Something doesn't feel right. That doesn't make sense. And from being so strong, something doesn't feel right. You can't be so strong, but you're coming home and crying by yourself. You know, your closest people are phoning you. You're like, yeah, I'm fine. But a minute ago, you're just looking at the window from the 10th floor. That doesn't make no sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's like you get into that stage of just like realizing you're, I'm denying myself a happy, contented life. We all have problems, but to the core of it, the simple core of it, I'm denying myself uh, uh, a simple, happy life. Am I going to be that person to destruct my own life or am I going to be that person to, like you said, Ben, um, be, you know, vulnerable? And that's where the power is. It, it, you sort of answered a question I wanted to ask, which is where do you get the energy from? Oh, because it, uh, But it's just, it feels to me like because you're living with this purpose and you're living a, what feels true and authentic to you, that the energy is somewhat natural. Yeah, I think it is. Don't get me wrong. I definitely get tired. I've got kids, and you know, I'm, I'm I work constantly. I think I work every day, and I still got things. Don't get me wrong. I've still got things to work on because, as much as I understand the importance of being vulnerable and listening to myself and speaking to people, I've still got a bit of that cap of like I've got things to do. I've got things to do, and I think that comes from fear of being a single parent and having these responsibilities. So I'll push through. And there's a difference between um, determination and achievement than just being strong. So I feel like the energy is, is it comes from knowing that this is bigger than just comedy. This is bigger than just a laugh. Uh, this is bigger than just oh, having money. It feels like there's, there's another energy there. I think that's where that's where my energy gets boosted. I'm like, okay, this there's something bigger than this. It's it's not because I feel really contented. Um, obviously, Mama wants to get paid. Okay, obviously, <laughs> Mama wants to get paid. But there's this other feeling of gratitude. Like, wow, in the midst of everything, this is what I this is what I do. Like, if this is what I do every day, I get to make people laugh. I, I'm on TV. I get to engage. I get to spend quality time with my kids. I think that's where the energy comes from. You know what? We really wanted to get you on today because we're having business conversations about diversity and inclusion. But listening to you talk and thinking about all the things you do, like quarantine date night, you're a single mom, you know, you do all of these things. It's like you sort of are diversity and inclusion. Like if people, you know, it, it's personified and it's really powerful because I think if business leaders are daunted by it, you know, and then that's why I find it so interesting to be able to have a, a humorous, lighthearted conversation about it. But then at the end of it, say, this is what diversity and inclusion is, you know, mm. and, and seeing that content. And it really struck me then that 
it's, you know, at the moment, there's probably production companies falling over themselves to try to be more diverse. But it really struck me that the thing that they should be thinking of is how to be more inclusive, how to bring more people into that production. Like, you know, and we've seen this with shows recently, like I May Destroy You is not a program for black people. It's a program about consent and it's a program for young people and old people and all of this. Mm. And it's harsh and it's a difficult watch and it's spiky, but it's kind of like, how do we make sure that we're being inclusive and not being like mm. selective based on a diversity uh, score, if you like? And that is so true because I definitely feel like I've got a story to tell that would would definitely reflect positive images and different narratives of black women and just the relationships we have with people just people and, 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 and everything around us. And I think these stories are being missed, without a doubt. Like if we were to sit here and think, you tell me of a show that you could watch that would remind you of me, we, should we just sit here silently and think? Because that's what we'd be doing. If we, if we... Let's, let's not sit silently, Judy. That's a really boring podcast. I know, I know. But yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Yeah. If we had to sit here and think, we would be sitting here silently. So it's mm. like, I think there is, a big area that's being missed and that it we you're right but in regards to having to be careful that you know production companies are not going to only just pick one avenue because it's going to miss so many other stories um you know and yeah I, I i definitely would that's something that i definitely would like to do write something produce something direct something and um that's about me. That sounds a little bit narcissistic, doesn't it? <laughs> no, that was, that was going to be my last question, Judy, which was you're clearly on a mission. And so what are the things that you want to see in your lifetime when it comes to representation, when it comes to black women, the black community? What, what do you want to see? I would like to see shows with black women leading, anchoring and, and not ex- excluding anybody. But not, I want to see the day where it's, you know, maybe three black women on TV and no one doesn't have to tweet, oh my God, I've just seen three black women on TV. Do you understand what I mean? Like, I, 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 want, to, I want to see that. I want it to be like that. Um, I, I want to get to a stage where, and this is honest, like, I want to get to a stage where, for me as, as, as a black female, I don't feel mentally exhausted. Yeah, there's things that make me feel mentally exhausted when the stereotypes are played, when the same narrative is spoken, when the same fight, it feels like people are just having a conversation because it looks good to have a conversation. I'm at a stage now where it's like, forget the conversation, even though it's good, but forget the third, fourth conversation. You lot have a conversation. I'm going to make some actions. And whether that is a one-minute video, whether that is a quarantine date nights, whether it's a podcast of guys like yourself, then that's what it's going to be instead of it just being a, a conversation. So, yeah, that and a little Judy Love show and all of that. All of that. <laughs> that just me. encapsulated in the Judy well, Love show. Yeah, a little Judy Love show. <laughs> a 12-part series. 12 part, <laughs> a sitcom, a talk show, all the rest of it. Internationally known. And, uh, yeah, just a very simple life. I still want a very simple life. I think I think all of those things are going to come. You've, you've put them out there. You've manifested them. And if ever anyone, 
if ever anyone deserved them, it's you, Judy. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Making diversity everyone's business. What a woman. I love Judy. Judy love. Judy love her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> should, we, should we just end there? And then you can follow us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what really struck me, Ben, was like the, the finding commonality. So love, comedy, acceptance, smashing stereotypes. These are things that everyone wants. So when we're in this conversation and debate about diversity, I don't think it needs to be about, is this relevant to me? It's about saying... We all care as humans about certain things and those are universal. So let's find the themes. I agree. And I think that diversity is dealt with in a, in a lot of silos often. It's like, okay, it's about disability, age, gender, ethnicity, whatever. But what's really interesting and what really struck me in that conversation was that when you're truly inclusive, you go across those things and you look at the commonalities of what it is to just be human. And I think that's what's made her uh, show and her comedy and the way she interacts with people so successful and so empowering and so endearing for people. You know, people genuinely can't wait to say how much that affected her their lives. And that is such a beautiful position to be in. And I really do wish her, the, you know, the very, very best because um, she makes people feel good. Yeah, and what really struck me was we talk about being inclusive by design like judy is that person yeah. who is is doing it maybe unconsciously in a way mm. but has realized just how successful that's making her with the types of people who come to her shows and the mm. people who are following quarantine date night and i think that's that's what it's all about and companies hoping for a magic fix or a formula mm. have to realize it's more about culture and who what you can nurture. So I've got one final question for you. We've got a couple of job ads out there at the moment. Is it okay if Judy takes a slide into your DMs? <laughs> I wonder I wonder if Judy will apply for a job with us. She said she did say Mama gonna get paid. So yeah. <laughs> let's see. But there we are. Another episode of the Speakeasier. Follow us at underscore unmistakables on Twitter and Instagram and just Google Judy Love and you'll find her and follow her because it will make your life infinitely better. The Speak Easier podcast by The Unmistakables.